0: I am Kelsey, um, and uh, before we get started, I just want to pray. Uh, Father, we just thank you that we have uh, such a great opportunity to join in the work that you're doing in the world. Um, Lord, that you care about the orphans, that you care about widows, God, that you care about the people who, who need you, who need uh, physical things, and, and need you spiritually, Lord. We just thank you for that. And Lord, as, as I preach your word this morning... Uh, Lord, I pray that you would speak uh, through me and in spite of me, and and Lord, just that you would uh, speak to each one of us in some way, Lord. I pray that you would uh, communicate your word in this place. In your name I pray, amen. So I used to work for a supervisor who loved to micromanage. She would never tell us what the big picture was. We weren't ever given a vision for what it was that we were trying to accomplish, It was always small tasks. Put this here. Put that there. Unpack this. Stack that. It was really frustrating because every 15 minutes, we'd have to go back to her and ask, "Okay, now what? What do we do next? Because we didn't know. And we didn't want to take the chance to speculate because we didn't want to do it in the order that she didn't want us to. And we also didn't want to have to redo anything. It was frustrating working from small task to small task with no idea of what we were working towards or even how much we had accomplished. The opposite of that is only having the big picture. Imagine you've been given a picture of the Empire State Building and told, I want you to build this here. Let me know when it's done. Oh, okay. Now what? When do you want this done by? Am I supposed to do it exactly like this? It's too ambiguous. There's too many unknowns. It's overwhelming and daunting. You would have absolutely no idea if you're doing it right until it's done. When you become a Christian, eventually there's a a point where you experience a moment that feels something like that. You know you're supposed to live like Jesus, but now what? How do I figure out what God wants me to do now? And that's where the Thessalonian church had found themselves. They believed in Jesus. They had started to live this new life for God, turning away from idols, living the way that Paul had taught them, but they didn't have the full picture. Paul was only able to be there for three weeks, and that wasn't enough time for him to teach them all that they needed to know to live a life of holiness and hope. They'd been faced with the question, what is God's will for my life? What do we do now? And so Paul writes to them in First Thessalonians and in this passage, and he tells them God's will for you is to be constantly growing in holiness and love. Turn with me to First Thessalonians 4, verses 1 through 12. It'll be on the screen here. Paul writes to them saying, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus, that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you were doing— Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another." For indeed, that is what you are doing for all the brother, to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So in this first section, verses 1 through 8, Paul tells them that God's will for you is that you grow in holiness. God's will is a mystery that we can be confident in. It's, it's something that we can trust is good and that God has for each one of us. And when you're trying to discern God's will, when you're trying to figure out what it is, you're making an effort to answer the question, how can I live in a way that pleases God? How can I do this thing in a way that pleases God? What can I do now That pleases God. And there's a few different terms that that we talk about when it comes to this. First is God's revealed will versus his hidden will. So God's revealed will is what we read in the Bible, something like the Great Commission, where God says, go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. Clear, simple, easy. We know what that is. We can we know how to do that. We've been shown how to do that through the Bible. But then you've got God's hidden will. Okay, where do I live? Where should I go to school? Where should I work? Is this the right career for me? Should I share the gospel with this person? What, is, what does it look like? We're not given specifics, and so that's, it's hidden. Then there's also God's general will versus God's specific will. So again, great commission, very general All Christians are told to do this. All Christians are told to go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. That's something that we're all supposed to participate in. But then you've got God's specific will. Okay, where do I do this? How do I do this? What's my role? What does it look like for me to do this? And we aren't given specifics in many cases, especially on how that pertains to us as individuals. But if you're living out God's revealed general will, if your goal is to please God through obeying what he has revealed and what he has given to all Christians, then his hidden specific will is in its proper place. If your goal is to live a life that is pleasing to God, if that's where your focus is, then the specifics will fall into place. See, we often get stuck where we have two good choices. Two choices where it seems like no matter what, you you really can't go wrong. There's no sin in either one. You've got two good jobs that that look like they'll be God-honoring and that you'll be in a place that seems right. Great. Sometimes there is no wrong choice. If your goal is to please and honor God, he is going to work and will through that. He's going to use you through that, no matter which one you choose. And so Paul writes to the Thessalonians, and he tells them, this is what God's will is. He says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus, that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. See, life is often described as a, a journey with a destination. And so Paul is telling them that in your spiritual life, you've got the starting point, which is when you become a Christian, and you know where you're headed, eternity. And now it's filling in what's in between. And for most of us, it's a pretty long journey in between when we become Christians to eternity. And so there's certain things that that play into how we're supposed to live during this time. We know that God has created everything in a certain way, that he is the creator, that he is sovereign over everything, that he's omnipresent, that he is everywhere and in all things. He's in us working, and he desires the good of his creation. We also have the example of Jesus. We're given in the gospel a picture of of Jesus and how he read the scripture and taught the scripture and showed his disciples how to carry out the Great Commission. Early Christianity in in Acts, they referred to themselves as followers of the way. Christians were followers of the way. And that way was Jesus, the one who made it possible to be on this path toward eternity, to start this spiritual journey toward eternity. And so this is where the Thessalonian church is at. They know the starting point. They know where they're headed. And Paul is trying to help them see what comes in between that, what it looks like to walk along this path. And so, in verse 2, he says, For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. So again, through the Lord Jesus, you're on this path. And now, Paul is saying, We're instructing you in how to walk along this path. Paul instructs, urges, and encourages them to walk in the right way. Paul says that he, he gave them instructions on how to walk through the Bible, through interpreting Scripture to them by teaching them. He's telling them, this is the path. This is what it looks like. Here's where the boundaries are. And now you walk along this path toward eternity in the way of holiness, in a way that pleases God. God also uses other people who are walking along the path with us. That's the position that Paul's in. He's, he's urging this church abstain from sexual morality. This is where the line is. You guys are too close. You've got to get back on the path. You've got to keep walking on the path that goes toward eternity. And he's also encouraging them. He's saying, you guys found it. You know where the path is. So keep going. You've got it. You're doing this part right. And God also uses us to help others walk. In the same way, we're in a position where we can encourage others in their walk. Showing them, yeah, you're walking in the right way. You found the path. And urging them to say, no, 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 you're not quite there. It's it's over here. The path is over here. And God also has given us the example of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, Paul says to that church, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. He's saying, you see me, you see the way that I'm living. Well, I'm imitating Jesus. And that's what you should be doing too. Jesus isn't just an example. Like I said, he's the one that that gives us the ability to even make this walk. But he is the one that we are seeking to imitate, that we're seeking to live like in order to walk along this path well. Because it's all done through Jesus. Paul is teaching them through the power of Jesus. It's because they are together in Christ. Christians, in the family of God, with the Father and with Christ as our brother. That's how they're learning to walk and able to walk on this path. Paul continues in verses 3 through 8 talking about how God's will for you is that you would grow in holiness as you walk. So he talks about this specifically in terms of of sexual immorality. He says in verse three, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So sanctification is the process of becoming holy. Something that is sacred is something that's holy, something that's set apart something that's sanctified is is something that's holy. And I loved what Josh said last week, talking about holiness as being set apart from sin and death and from the world and being set apart to God. That you are free from sin and death, no longer under the bondage of sin, but you are now living for God. God. And in the process of sanctification, that starts when reigning sin is defeated and all that's left is remaining sin. So reigning sin is when you are in sin and death, when sin is all that you can do, when sin is sitting on the throne of your life. But once Jesus is on the throne of your life, once you say that Christ is the Lord of your life, then... You begin this process of sanctification to root out and eliminate the remaining sin in your life. You're telling God that Christ is the Lord of your life. That's what you're declaring. And that you are on this path to eternity. And along this path, what you're doing is trying to root out the remaining sin in your life. Through Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul here is specifically talking about sexual immorality. They know the truth. Paul is saying he's instructed them in what it looks like, saying abstain from sexual immorality. Stay away from these things because that's not part of the path. This path is a way of abstaining from sexual immorality and walking toward holiness. In verse 4 and 5, he says that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. He's saying that this path is one that's marked by self-control, holiness, and honor. He's saying that because sin is no longer reigning in your life, that Jesus is the Lord of your life, that you're able to live not in sin. This isn't the way you're supposed to live. You have control over your passions. Jesus is the one who gives you the ability to choose to walk on this path. So you don't have to live controlled by your passions and desires like the Gentiles who do not know God. And he says that this is a way of holiness. That this is the path that leads toward eternity. That compared to the culture around you that's going to tell you, no, 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 sexual morality is good. Because the Thessalonian church is, is living in a, a culture of idolatry with cult prostitution and adultery and all of these things that are against what God has said sex is for. It's outside of what God created it to be. And Paul is saying, you know that this is the path of holiness, of purity. And he says that this is the path of honor. You might be shamed, you might be ridiculed for saying, no, no, I'm going to live in this way. I'm not going to join in on this sin. I'm not going to participate in this. But Paul is saying, this is actually the way that's honorable. This is the way that leads to life. It may not look like it to the culture around you, but again, they haven't been able to see the truth. They don't know the truth, but he's saying to the church, you do, and so you live in this way. Verse six, he says, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. So it's a way of love that produces holiness and unity in others. Saying because you are in Christ, because you are part of this family, this community, that you are in the family of God, you answer to a higher authority. You answer to the authority. So don't sin against your brother or sister. Don't lust after a brother or sister. Don't lead someone into participating in sin Because you are responsible to God. God is the one who you are accountable to. And he's saying, you know this. We've warned you. We've told you. So live in this way. And then in verses 7 and 8, he says, For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives the Holy Spirit to you. So God has not called us for impurity, but to holiness. Saying you have been called to holiness. That holiness should be your life's constant pursuit. That you shouldn't be chasing after the impurity that's around you. The things that aren't on this path. The things that are outside the bounds of what God has said is good. And this is only possible because they are in Christ, because they are living in this community, because Christ has died and paid for their sin and set them on this path to eternity. And as a Christian, impurity is not part of who you are. Living in holiness, learning to be sanctified, is living out the identity that you have in Christ. Because you are in Christ, you have the holiness Of Christ. And that's not going to be completed until eternity. But he's saying you're called to live in this way because of who you are. And you pursue holiness by the power and work of the Holy Spirit. Whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. You are doing this by the power and work of the Holy Spirit. So that's how they're able to do this more and more, is that it's not their work. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in them, that God is willing to work for his good pleasure. And sanctification isn't something that happens overnight. Like I said, it's, there's often a long distance between being born again spiritually and eternity. And Paul isn't coming from the position of saying, well, I'm holy, let me tell you guys how I got there. Paul is just a little bit further down the path. He's telling them, no, 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 here's where it is. Like, I started teaching you. This is where I've come. This is is what I've learned. And I want to help you guys get to where I'm at. Because God's will for you is growth in holiness. Um, It's often like like a game of football. So, In a football game, most of the plays don't go 15 or 20 yards. It's five yards, three yards, two yards. And there's losses. You lose a couple yards, get knocked back. But after every play, after a five-yard game, get up, brush yourself off, get back in the huddle, go on to the next one. Slowly working your way down the field. It's not leaps and bounds, it's a battle to the end. And it's done in community. Learning what the Bible says on how to live a holy life is done in community. The Bible, for thousands of years, has been read in community. It's not you and Jesus sitting in a closet reading your Bible, it's community. It's having people around you to help learn and understand what the Bible has to say about living a holy life. It's being challenged and encouraged by others. It's having people in your life to keep pushing you along, to show you where the path is, and to encourage you to keep going, to keep pushing forward, to do it more and more. And it's also challenging and encouraging others, showing others, hey, I've been there. You want to see how I got here? It's right here. Helping others come and walk one more step along this path. The Father has willed that you will be sanctified. The Son has made it possible, and the Holy Spirit is the process. So, God's will is that you would grow in holiness. He's made it possible by the blood of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And everything that God does, he will complete. For us, that completion is when Jesus comes again. But how do we know we're growing in holiness? What what is the evidence that I'm being sanctified? In the last section, Paul talks about how God's will for you is that your life would be characterized by growing in love. Verses 9 and 10, he says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. So Paul again is asking, urging, and encouraging this Thessalonian church to grow in love. Saying just as you were growing in holiness, be growing in love. Because love is a key marker of a holy life. Jesus, in Matthew 22, 37 through 40, he's been asked, what is the greatest commandment? Of all the commandments in the law, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. So the Bible tells us how to live a holy life, and Jesus is saying that that whole thing is built on love. Jesus is saying that the whole law and prophets is built on loving God and loving your neighbor. That living a holy life, the, the instructions that were given on what it looks like to live a holy life, and on how to live in a way that pleases God is based on loving God and loving your neighbor. That if those are the two things that you are constantly pursuing and growing in, that you are pursuing a holy life. So this Thessalonian church has been loving one another, but Paul says, do more. He says, your love has been known to all the brothers in Macedonia. So keep doing it. If you've been loving this much and it's impacted a whole region, just imagine what happens if if you do it more. Because again, this is a work of the Holy Spirit. It's not dependent on their effort. It's on God working in and through them. Taught by God here doesn't mean that there was an angel that appeared to them and gave a Love 101 class saying that this is a work of the Holy Spirit. This is the work of Christ. This is because you are in Christ walking on this path that you have been able to learn to love more and more. And so continue doing that. verses 11 and 12, he talks about living according to God's will and how it's a life that bears fruit. He says, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So he's saying that this life of love and holiness will result in a life that helps outsiders, those outside your community and church, see the gospel. Mind your own affairs here means to care for the things and people that God has given you to steward. It's not like mind your own business, it's it's more of Take care of the things that God has given you. Love the people that God has given for you to love. Steward the gifts that God has given you. Use them well. Use the the physical things that God has given you well. Use them in a way that that makes the outside world see this holy life and go, yeah, I I can see that. Yeah, that's good. And work with your hands here means to be self-sufficient, not abusing the generosity of others. Um, What was happening in the Thessalonian church is they had become Christians and saw eternity, and they thought, oh, well, if Jesus is coming back, then why am I working? I don't have to do that because Jesus is going to come back soon, so it doesn't matter. And so they had been living off of the generosity of others. And Paul is saying you shouldn't be doing that because what that was doing was taking away from people who actually did need it, from those who who were unable to care for their own needs. And so these people were not loving their neighbors. They weren't loving those inside or outside the church because it was making others have to meet these needs of people who were physically able to meet them themselves. See, you are a representative of Christ. He's he's telling this church that when you live a way of holiness and love, that when you are walking on this path, you are representing Christ to a world that doesn't know him yet. And you're living a life that's dependent on God alone. The Thessalonian church had been wasting the things that they had been given, and they had a wrong perspective on Christ's return. And we're called to be good stewards of the things that God has given us because God's given them to us to use for for our benefit, for this life. This life is important in light of eternity. But it's not everything. And so we need to be good stewards of the things that God has given us because we are living dependent on God now and forever. This way of life that Paul's talking about is the same way of life that Paul, Silas, and Timothy had displayed in chapter 2. He says in chapter 2 that we didn't come to you in greed. We didn't come to you asking for money. We didn't come to you with elegant speech. We didn't come to you trying to persuade you of anything. We came to you humbly, working to provide for our own means. And he says that that's what contributed to them understanding the gospel, them understanding what it looks like to live this life. So Paul is saying, "We've, we've instructed you. We've shown you what this way of life looks like and you've seen the benefit of it. You've seen that it works. This is how you all came to Christ, by seeing our way of life and the fact that it matched the message that we were telling you. He's not just telling them what a holy life looks like in a vague way. He's saying, you guys know us. That's why you believed our message. That's why you heard the gospel because you knew us and saw the way that we lived. So now what? You're called to live in love and holiness. God's will is that you would be sanctified, growing in love and displaying the gospel to a world that needs to know God's love love for them. You are called to walk in a way worthy of God, to walk in the way of Jesus, the way of holiness and love, the way that leads to life. And the way is often very different from the way that the world around us lives. Abstaining from sexually immoral things, loving your enemies, praying for those who persecute you, giving generously, not being ruled by your passions and desires, all of this not for ourselves, not because there's something that we can gain, not because it's going to make us rich, but because we're in Christ, living out the holiness and identity that we have in Christ, a holiness that we'll one day experience in its fullness in eternity, We're called to love others not because there's something in them that's lovable, but because God loves us. So just a couple application points as we close. Number one, what remaining sin is God currently uprooting in your life? What are the points where you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Number two, what can you change about your current life and habits to fight that sin? What are you doing to to combat the sin in your life. Number 3, what else where else does the remaining sin in your life show up? I hate to break it to you, but there's probably more than one sin area in your life. So what are they? Have you been paying attention to them? Number 4, who's a new person that you can show love to this week? Who's somebody that you maybe just haven't before? Number five, what's a new way that you can show love to someone in your life? What's a a new and different way that you can show someone that they are loved in Christ? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we are no longer on a path that leads to sin and death. Lord, that through the death and resurrection of your son, we are set on the path of life and eternity. Lord, we pray that you would, God, continue to convict us of our sin. Continue to show us the ways that we can grow in holiness. That we can continue to walk in a way worthy of the gospel that we've received. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to display love and holiness to everyone around us. In your name I pray. Amen.